Hello, welcome to the Theology Pugcast. It's great to have you here for our show. And uh, I'm C.R. Wiley. I'm a pastor of a church here in the Pacific Northwest, and I've written a bunch of books and even taught philosophy for a time uh, at the college level. But enough about me. How about you, Glenn? And then we'll kick it over to Tom. I'm Glenn Sunshine. I'm a retired history professor specializing in Renaissance and Reformation Europe. I'm a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, and my main gig is as a ministry associate at Reflections Ministries. All right, great. Tom, why don't you take it from here and tell us what we're talking about today? All right. I'm Tom Price. I teach systematic theology and Christian ethics and philosophy and other things. One of the places is Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Today, we are talking about some of the uh, ramifications of the uh, virus <laughs> or, or what have you um, that we all endured and, and caught and, uh, and were plagued by in one way or the other. And really uh, looking at uh, an article by Hans Boersma. Um, some of you may know him from his work in... Um, theology and uh, systematic theology in particular. He writes a lot on beauty and uh, Christian Platonism, but he wrote an article called Viral Submission. This is in Touchstone. Um, I think this was, uh, I did, do you have the journal? Uh, yeah, I've got it here. It's actually a cu- just a couple issues back. This okay. was the June 2012 or 2022 edition. So June, uh, May, June, 2022. So just one or two issues back. Yep. And so viral submission um, on the emerging totalitarianism of the new biopolitics. And so what I wanted to do is kind of uh, get into that topic of this new totalitarianism by unpacking a little bit about what is meant when the word biopolitics comes up. Um, some of our audience may not be familiar with this term. We tend to hear about it a lot in the discussion of uh, medical ethics um, in, in, in kind of, you know, in theology and ethics classes. Um, but first, the term um, bioethics, this really came into um, usage, if you will, out of the social, social sciences, and in particular, out of the thought of the, the uh, well, depending on what you think of, uh, Michel Foucault, right? Michel Foucault's the, work. The, the notorious Michel Foucault. The notorious Michel Foucault. Um, he was doing a lot of genealogical work. That means going back and looking at all the ways in which um, ideas and um, structures of society played into the development of maybe something that Charles Taylor would call the social imaginary, the way in which we think about certain things like life, our body, mental illness, why we think the way we do about these things. For him, he's a historicist, so these there's no essences out there. There's nothing that really defines what life is, um, what nature is. It's it's really the, the byproduct of whatever kinds of configurations um, have led up to it socially and historically and the like. Um, and so, but for him, he does all of this work and he really comes to the modern period and he wants to look at the way in which the governing structures relate to the human person and the human person's biology, if you will, or biological life or embodied life. And so this is where this, this term comes um, into play. And so what it refers to um, is the way in which biopower or biopolitics um, is understood as the explosion of numerous and diverse techniques for achieving the subjugations of bodies and the control of populations. Um, that was a definition that came out of a, 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 a textbook um, entitled uh, Biopolitics and Utopia. So it's, it refers to the explosion of the numerous and diverse techniques for achieving the subjugation of bodies and the control of populations. Um, and this is a little technical too, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Um, It also is about the set of mechanisms through which the basic biological features of the human species become the object of political strategy. 
Long story short, the way in which governing powers find ways through technology and use of power to define, control, and, uh, and basically turn into the object of their governing human bodies and human lives. So this is kind of what is going on here. Now, what we see um, when we look at kind of biopolitics today for those that are, are, are analyzing it and kind of trying to critique it, if you will, is they notice that there has been a shift in classical ways in which society was structured, where you had a sort of sovereign that governed and kind of, you know, had kind of a symbolic right, if you will, um, over uh, over the subjects that it governs over, the bodies, say, for the military, you know, and then you sort of have a military hero. So it's okay to shed that blood for that society because it, it plays into, you know, the, the whole and the legitimacy of, of that way of life. But what shifts here is a move away from any kind of sovereign in, in control to, to really the way in which the government starts to take on the interest of what is healthy and good for its citizens. And in some sense, all societies do this. Otherwise, you're not going to have a place for government. But it's really the increasing encroachment of it into almost the micromanagerial level to the what you eat, the kinds of food you eat, the kinds of foods a population can eat to, in order to sustain it. Um, you know, what kind of, uh, of, of things are harmful, too many plastic bags, too many cups, um, and, and the like. It's the way in which they use statistics and science and medicine to basically govern, control, and dictate, if you will, what is going to be beneficial to how they understand the health of, of their subjects and what is in the best interest of their goals with the population. So that's kind of what biopolitics is about. Yeah. Now, he makes an interesting distinction uh, between this and Zoe, the, yeah. uh, the word that in the New Testament is used for uh, life in another sense. <clears throat> so bios, or, you know, is the you know, term that would be used for a body, a physical body, but Zoe would be a term referring to the life of God, who That's right. is not uh, embodied. Uh, you know, of course, in Christ, yes, but in terms of, you know, a spirit who is the source of life, who is life itself. You know, and and the ability to think in that term in that way is is not uh, at all even. Uh, something that these people who think in these terms are able to entertain. That, that's right. It, it, can, it tends to be either a very reductionistic picture, um, both for those practicing biopolitics and for those that are criticizing or analyzing it. Um, Foucault has to do a lot of interesting work to come up with something to analyze, right? Because when you don't believe in real essences, or kinds, you you have to draw the line somewhere um, and in order. So so life gets kind of fuzzy, but really biological life or the health um, of of you know of the body um, in in very loosely defined. This can change because sometimes the health of one individual is uh, is okay to deteriorate if you're interested on kind of maintaining population. So health and life are going to kind of be variable. But you're exactly right. One of the problems with biopolitics, um, and I think, well, it is its its understanding of life in such a um, a way that's detached from the eternal, and therefore their program tends to try to push itself into those domains which the eternal otherwise would help govern the right way as we order life towards the right kind of flourishing. And, and the right kind of goods for us. And we're going to see how this plays out. The article is going to talk about the way in which this plays out when you don't get the Zoe in the kind of uh, eternal life picture um, emphasized. Yeah, I think that's, that's important to, to, to state. But also maybe it would be helpful for folks to, to sort of know as well 
that in the classical view, as we see expressed in the, in the New Testament, it's not as though these things are completely unrelated. That's right. Uh, bios is in some sense dependent upon Zoe. Yeah. Uh, when you lose Zoe, yeah. now it really is something that's entirely within our scope. Bios yes. is, you know, it's in other words, political uh, biopolitics is now possible, or at least yeah. in the mind of a person like Foucault, because yeah. that's the only thing that governs life yeah. is, you know, yeah. the, you know, you know, it's just us chickens here and nobody else. It's, it's, but if we're talking about the classical understanding, the Christian understanding, the, 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 the ambit, the aspiration, the hubris of the modern outlook is uh, foolishness to, to attempt to control life in the way that we try to now. That's yes. Now, now the, what you have to remember is with Foucault, the only thing, this is a bit of an exaggeration, but the only thing that's really real is power relationships. Yes. You know, language, all language is a game that really revolves around power in different forms. Um, everything else in society is all about power. It's, it's a very reductive system. So when asking questions about health, Foucault's natural direction is who's got power. Yeah. And, and, and interestingly, even with that narrow scope and even with his leanings, he ends up becoming something, I, I think, uh, especially through one of his kind of, you know, the students of his school, uh, Giorgio, uh, uh, Agamben, I think that's how you say his name, um, is really a, a, this is the kind of left that is criticizing the way in which kind of liberal modern states are actually enforcing and suffocating and subjugating. So, um, and one of the things that is going to show up here, I don't want to get there too quickly, but you're going to see with uh, Agamben in particular his criticism that the kind of new left, if you will, has been hijacked by this kind of, you know, this liberal modern state and is basically serving the ends for which the Foucaults of the world and he himself were, were trying to say, this is not good territory. This is going to actually be turning you into slaves of the to totalitarian, um, you know, uh, emergent totalitarianism. So, so a lot of this, though, does depend on some of it, you know, the, the analysis that grows out of these schools. And a lot of it, of course, is, you know, is, you know, driven by, you know, that typical left wing hatred of anything capitalistic. But on the flip side, they're noticing similar things that people who are just co committed to their lives ordered towards those good ends of creation, their family lives, making a living, trying to sustain uh, life in those creaturely goods towards their fulfillment, ultimately, of both uh, of their natural life, but also of its fulfillment in God, for example. And so one of the things that I think Borisma is, is trying to get to is the way in which um, a more recent uh, sort of Foucaultian, um, uh, Agamben, um, in his little 221 book, Where Are We Now? The Epidemic as Politics, um, he really shed light on the fact that what we've created in with this pandemic is exactly what their fears were, where biopolitics ends up. Um, and that is this kind of emerging totalitarianism. And one of the things he says at the beginning, um, he says, fear of catching a virus, right, um, and fear of death, for that matter, um, is irrational and caused us to elevate bare life, you know, bios, if you will, um, above any consideration of the particularities of our life, um, what he calls uh, bios. Um, in other words, we've lifted just merely surviving because we have our biological health, right? We don't have the virus or, or we're to the place that we're actually denying all of those other aspects that make health actual a genuine thing in the full sense, um, not being lonely, not being isolated. Um, and so this is kind of one of the first critiques, the way in which we allowed ourselves to basically be flooded by the biopolitics, to basically allow our lives to be cut off in the name of health from what is really healthy and flourishing. Yeah, we've, we've seen a lot of uh, sort of collateral damage, uh, and that's becoming less and less deniable. Uh, 
there's just been a lot of denial, uh, a refusal even to talk about the collateral damage, people dying of loneliness, yeah. businesses, you know, failing and people committing suicide, you know, all these different things. Uh, or they actually feed the narrative in a weird way. Isn't it just so awful that the virus has had all these unintended or, or these ancillary consequences? No, it's not the virus. It was your stupid, uh, you know, policies that created these problems that these people are dealing with. But the, the, the people are so fixated and unable to sort of understand that their their good intentions uh, actually had uh, terrible consequences that they can't even hear or, or accept that kind of stuff. I think, um, yeah, you know, related to this is uh, in the church how many uh, leaders. Uh, in the name of love, for example, yeah. the loving thing to do is to mask. The loving thing to do is to get the jab. The loving thing to do is yeah. this and yada, yada. And it just never ends. It's the loving thing to do is not have worship. The loving thing to do is stay in your house. Yeah. Da, 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 da. To, and, not, to and, not go by the bedside of the family or not allow the family to be at the bedside of someone already dying. Yeah, to, that, that, would be the, that would be the loving thing to do. So this kind of uh, violence that was uh, you know, committed against just common sense language you know, yeah. <laughs> is again another sort of strange feature to this, and the the I, I think it, we, we're driving here, Tom, is that this biopolitical sort of outlook uh, has taken on this sort of uh, well, it's not even communitarian; it's it's downright socialistic uh, and uh, uh, communal character where. The rights of people to order their lives are completely over, kind of ruled. Yeah, that's right. Um, th th that's exactly right. And I'm going to get to that point uh, he, because he gets there in the article with the church part. And I'll probably get to that pretty quickly. But I do want to note that one of the ways in which um, biopolitics is kind of spelled out a bit more um, in Biopolitics and Utopia, the book, it talks about um, since the formation of the modern uh, state system, and they're talking about what we're dealing with now, especially its global connections, governments have sought to exercise greater control over the lives of its citizens, the bodies of its citizens. Um, and so you have entire disciplines of studies, statistics, demography, epidemiology, public health that have ris arisen as highly politicized forms of knowledge. Um, making po the possibility and the ability to better analyze and regulate individuals and society as a whole and involving processes of correction, normalization, disciplining, therapeutics, optimization. And then there is also the flip side about the way in which it intervenes with our human bodies in terms of um, especially in terms of, you know, how many children people should be having, whether they should be having them. I mean, we're seeing with the transgender issue we'll get to in the way in which it, it, the normalization of affirming care and its, its basic top-down biopolitical pressures in school systems to start having kids wrestle with this earlier and earlier. So this biopolitical is in, it's it's moved into almost in a fact you know a, a, you know with what he he uses the term in a, in terms of fascism into every domain of our lives and he actually calls it uh, a section in the article of Boersma that a giant makeover where he he's he's quoting again a Gambin he's he's quote Never before, not even under fascism and during two world wars, has the limitation of freedom been taken to such extremes. People have been confined to their houses, deprived of all social relationships, reduced to a condition of biological survival. The, this barbarity does not even spare the dead. Those who die are being deprived of their right to a funeral, their bodies instead being burned. And so this is really one of the things that uh, I think just shook um, Agamben, um, but also wants, you know, he wants to turn around and shake us a little bit to make us realize what we just went through. Yeah, I mentioned uh, last time that I'm reading this book, uh, The Psychology of Totalitarianism by Matthias uh, Desmond. And what he is really helpful with is in a couple of respects, this biopolitics and how it uh, on the one hand, 
is actually not as informed as it presents itself as being, um, repeatedly correcting itself. Uh, it doesn't have a grip on the physical world like it claims to. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, uh, in order to suppress uh, the, its own uh, insecurity with regard to its lack of knowledge, it uh, prevents anyone from dissenting. Uh, yeah. It just shuts them up. Uh, and then he, he also notes that, uh, and this is where history is so important. Um, so many of the things that we look back in, uh, lack, look back at with 2020 vision, things like the, you know, the, like fascism and communism in the, you know, in the moment, in their early, uh, stages, um, they were, uh, the, you know, sort of like kind of, uh, inevitable, uh, you know, triumph of the scientific uh, approach over the vagaries of life, um, and even moral, morally, um, you know, uh, valorous. You know, so for example, with the, and this is one of the things that Desmond brings out. He says, with with regard to the Bolsheviks, you know, with the communist revolution in, in Russia, uh, the Bolsheviks uh, cried foul uh, because. Uh, the czar under his regime had executed 17 people the previous year, but before mm-hmm. the, the revolution, 17 people died uh, in the first year <laughs> that the Bolsheviks took over, you know, that number had greatly increased. And by the 1930s, we were talking about hundreds of thousands of people being put to death by these people who in the first phase of their project were, you know, uh, railing against the, you know, the, the czar because of his inhumanity. That's you know, so, so you, you have to keep that in mind. It's not as yeah. though totalitarianism de- declares itself, uh, you know, the, in, in all of its brutal force, right. You know, as it's getting underway, yeah. it can, in, it, in order to sustain its illusion of total control, yeah, it has to become more and more uh, ambitious and radical in its in its its uh, scope, and that's what a lot of people who said, you know, watch out where this stuff with cor- coronavirus is going to take us, and yeah. people would say, oh, you know, slippery slope, you know, fallacy, nah, yada yada yada. Yeah. But we we saw it just in the short period of time we were, you yeah. know, uh, able to witness uh, what we did witness. Well, you know. Whenever you find someone who's a utopian, like the Bolsheviks, you have a totalitarian. And what we see in biopolitics is a kind of medical utopianism. We are going to eradicate the virus. We're going to have zero cases. That's China's goal. We're going to have zero COVID. Um, We are going to do something that has never been done in human history before. We are going to find a way to control the spread of a respiratory virus so that it will not infect people. That's never been done before. Um, But because you have this utopian vision, utopias are always totalitarian because any dissent threatens the coming utopia. Yeah. So what you, what you saw in COVID, I would argue, is that attempt at this horrendous uh, utopian impossibility. And by pursuing that, we had all of the collateral damage, which is still unacknowledged because they're still trying to find a way to the utopia. And it's still unacknowledged in much of evangelicalism at at the highest levels. There is, I, I have yet to hear a single person of any sort of uh, significance within the evangelical big Eva world, say I was wrong. I shouldn't have gone along. And, yeah. 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 And, and I think you're going, I mean, something I want to get back to is really the church's place in all of this, you know, and the, the few outliers like the, uh, the Polish charismatic guy up in Canada who, who, uh, <laughs> who was <laughs> right. <laughs> One of the bold heroes out there yeah. during this time who, who, because he, you know, he comes from enough of a background and familiarity of this stuff. But one of the things Boersma talks about is kind of the knee-jerk reaction, and and I think 
for for everyone before we even understood what was happening and the way it was presenting and people just dropping dead everywhere and you don't even know how to digest it. That makes sense. But he says the knee jerk reaction to the epidemic has nearly been universal, universal, a fearful concession to political power to health of to health authorities and a surf like compliance with political overreach in terms of religious freedoms, freedom of expression. Um, like we were just talking about the way in which you're censored if you disagree with, you know, taking the vaccine or you have questions about it, freedom of movement. Um, and then, of course, um, what is still not acknowledged, and I, I do await an apology from one of the universities I teach at, these vaccine mandates, which I wasn't allowed to teach on campus, even though they were happy to have me while there was no vaccine, put my life ri at risk for their, for their uh, benefit. Um, so, you know, in basically just the just on that level, the way in which a questionable the science it doesn't matter what you think. I mean, people who have been vaccinated and boosted and everything else have gotten it. I mean, look at Biden now. He's what second time in. And their whole point is, well, you won't get it as bad. Well, many people don't get it as bad and haven't been vaccinated. So, you know, again, this is kind of heresy. To say these things, uh, you know, could even mean jail in some cases, in some places. Um, and yeah, and that doesn't even get into the sudden creation or sudden development of sudden on uh, sudden onset adult death. Oh yeah, and health, health, young, healthy young adult death. So, sudden, sudden adult death syndrome. So yeah. it's SADS as opposed to SIDS. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the number of athletes that have died after yeah. getting the jab and all of that kind of thing. I mean, you know, they're, well, correlation is not causation. You know, there are always a certain number of deaths. And, okay, so this year there is more, but there's no proof that it's anything to do with the vaccine. You haven't even examined it. Yeah. Well, if it's correlation doesn't mean causation, then it's the same thing about it working. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that can work both causality can work and correlation can work both ways. Um, but what, this is one of the things I think that, um, you know, the concern, interestingly, came not from an evangelical so much other than maybe one or two outliers. And, and, and you know, a lot of us who started to be troubled by what was going on, but really felt powerless in many ways to to put a spoke in the wheel of anything. Um, but it takes someone from the Foucault left um, to basically uh, poke a hole in the tire and and say, wait a minute, lefties, you've basically given yourself just so you can have center stage in part of this biopolitics over to this uh, scientism as a religion and for all of our years of being outliers of criticizing science as functioning as if it's a religion, here you are basically subscribing to it. And, and not just you lefties, but look at you evangelicals and you Christians. <laughs> um, shouldn't you um, have known better? And so he's got this, this little quote at the back. He says, um, start with Boersma. He says, perhaps the most, most distressing for a Christian reader are um, Agamben's legitimate barbs at the church. As Christians, we, we have mostly stood on the sidelines as we, were treat, as we treated each other primarily as spreaders of a contagion. And that's one of the things that is, you know, according to, uh, you know, um, Agamben and others, part of what the, the biopolitics wants to create, that everyone is almost, you know, a contagion and someone you should stay away from and basically be mediated through our social, you know, um, agenda. And so um, you have this um, allowing the age to languish in care homes um, and oftentimes in New York, sending the sick there to kill them off. Um, refusing last rites to the dying and meekly consenting even to funeral prohibitions. And this is a quote by um, now a hand, now a handmaiden of science, right? No longer is philosophy a handmaiden of theology or science. It's the reverse. Now a handmaiden of science. Um, the latter have become the true religion of our time. The church has radically disavowed its most essential principles. 
led by a pope named Francis, it is forgetting that St. Francis actually embraced lepers. Um, it is forgetting that one of the works of the church is mercy and uh, mercy values in visiting the sick. And it is forgetting the martyrs teaching that we must be willing sometimes to sacrifice life rather than faith and that renouncing one's neighbor means renouncing one's faith. I think that was a pretty sweeping uh, critique. I let you guys uh, run with that a little bit, your impression. Yeah, one of the things, I mean, I think we did a show on this um, when, the, when COVID first broke out. One of the things that has been true of the church historically is that when everybody else was running out, the church was running in. When there was a plague, when there was um, you know, pretty much any kind of problem, the church was always there to work. Um, they, when, you, when you get to the Reformation in particular, but even earlier, you have people saying, all right, you take all wise, look at Luther, take all wise steps, all the advice of the doctor for your personal care. But if you are a pastor and someone in your congregation needs you, you go whatever the doctors say, because that is your calling. You're responsible to go there and, and minister to that person. And, you know, so the question that we have to ask, the question that I keep coming back to nowadays, I wish I'd articulated this as clearly in Slang Leviathan. Jesus tells us to give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to give to God what's God's. When we've got a situation like this, shouldn't we be asking the question, is this something that belongs to Caesar? Historically, it belonged to God. It belonged to the church to go out and minister to these people, whatever the risk. And yet somehow the state says, oh, no, you can't, you can't take the risk for a respiratory infection that people in the past took for plague. Yeah, I think part of that, Glenn, is uh, kind of the, the I guess, uh, ambition that we have tied back to this ideology of, uh, you know, science uh, and its efficaciousness to address every problem. It, 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 we, it requires us to sort of track every variable uh, and every person and control them so that um, we have the kind of power, uh, providential power, that historically has been only understood as possible for God. Um, so, you know, we, we aspire to displace God in this role of providentially ordering all things. Uh, because we don't trust uh, God's providence, uh, we take it upon ourselves to supplant his place and order things, uh, you know, according to our own uh, lights. You, you remember that IBM um, campaign a few years back, a smarter planet, this idea that somehow the planet was, wasn't smart enough uh, or didn't have any sort of inherent wisdom that, that ordered it, that consequently we had to kind of provide a, a layer of digital uh, organization in order to make the planet smart. Uh, I don't know if anybody really picked up on just how uh, blasphemous that is, but I thought it was terrible from the start. Um, but I, I, I think it all kind of ties ties into this um, ambition to control every variable. So it's not so much Glenn that you know they were concerned about me. Um, maybe they were, but they were concerned that after I visited so and so, I would come back home and give it to some people there, and then they would give it to people elsewhere. That, that kind of thing. And um, the only way that they, they believed that they could prevent that was by taking over my life and, and uh, preventing me from exercising my own, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, competence. But, but the writer is Italian. They're Catholic <laughs> there. Right, right. So do you yeah. mean to tell me that the risk of you potentially, as a priest who doesn't have family... Yeah, um, that that there that the risk of you spreading that to some other people, that that risk is worth the damnation of someone's soul. 
Yeah. Because in Catholic theology, you don't get last rites. That's a real possibility. Yeah. Well, uh, what belongs to God and what belongs to Caesar? Now, I may well, disagree with Catholic theology on this, but you got to ask the question. Well, and, and, if, and if we're focusing on the thinking of the Catholic uh, hierarchy, then you're absolutely right. I was thinking more in terms of the thinking of the, so, the secular authorities. Right. And I, I understand that. They're concerned with BIOS. We're concerned with the real Zoe, not what right. the article has for Zoe. But again, the question keeps coming back to what belongs to God yeah. as opposed to belonging to Caesar. And, and I the think people's that souls the, belong to God. Yeah. And, but I think the great revealer, if you will, um, especially of the, the church is, uh, you know, um, jumping on board with the biopolitic, if you will. Um, I, I was Peter Lightheart, where I, that's where I really first started to hear kind of resistance to biopolitic, where he said, no, yeah, I think he was writing in first things. He said, you know what? No, I'm not getting the vaccine. I'm actually doing this as a spiritual resistance to bi to, to biopolitics. And I, at the time, I was like, what is he on to? You know, I mean, I, I mean, I knew the stuff from from, you know, bioethics and, and the like, but I, I hadn't made the connection there. But I think you are starting to see some figures cat, catch on very quickly that something dark is going on here. Um, and it is in, in people in the name of health and their own safety, their own continuance of their biological life are willing to do almost anything that compromises higher purposes and, and, and virtues that we're meant to indwell and embody. And so I think, you know, I mean, we could pick any of the virtues. I think one he picks here is a good one. Um, mercy values and the showing of mercy. Um, it, in classical ways of thinking about the formation of the human being, there are, you know, this could be philosophical or it's Christian version. Um, we are to be the kind of people being formed to move, as Glenn said, to run into this rather than away from it. Um, and so the, the, the values, the habits of, of mercy, of learning to practice mercifulness, um, in, in, in ways grounded in, in grace and the spirit, create a different kind of people than those who think, okay, I can do yoga while I'm, you know, here, I need to go to church, I can, you know, you know focus on my, my self. Um, and, and I really, I think one of the things I'm starting to be convinced of is that we almost universally in the West have a fundamentally non-Christian conception of the human being. It is one that is, is the construct of, of moves away from the Christian conception. And so really our, our health and well-being by itself, our self, um, is the core sacred issue and not higher goods, much less having to care for another self it only became politically expedient when it was, you need to submit to this. That's your way of being concerning the whole body, the whole right. social body. Yeah. yeah. And yet, if you look at the traditional works of mercy, most of them come straight out of Jesus's words, come blessed to my father, yours is the kingdom prepared for you. Feeding the hungry, uh, giving water to the thirsty, clothing the naked, visiting the sick visiting those in prison. I think there are two more, one of which is burying the dead. Yeah. I think they're, they're, they're usually in sevens. That's only six. So there's probably another one that I'm missing. But those are the classic works of mercy as understood within Catholic theology, probably in the Orthodox world as well. And yet here we are told you can't do that. Well, isn't it you can't fascinating? Visit the sick, you can't bury the dead. Isn't it fascinating that this uh, lefty uh, is disappointed in the fact that we didn't stay true to our own convictions uh, and was, I guess, uh, of the opinion that at least those guys will resist. Um, and then, lo and behold, we don't. Now, we, we've brought out the fact that there were some people who did. You know, you, yeah. you mentioned Lightheart. 
we we know a number of people that you could say we're we're part of that community. What is it about some folks that makes it possible for them to resist? I've been thinking about this a little bit. Uh, I think I grew probably, up in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just having that. But I, but it, would you say that everybody from New Jersey uh, was on that same side of the issue with you, uh, Glenn? Well, uh, there are real New Jerseyans, and they're just people <laughs> who happen to live in New Jersey. There you go. That, but maybe, maybe there is something to your what you're saying, even though I know you're joking. In terms of how you understand yourself, you know, I don't go along with this kind of stuff. I never do. Um, now, for me, as I think back upon my 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 journey on this issue, and like a lot of folks, I was like, you know, I don't know what's going on. I have to take the word of people. I see these reports from Italy and from China. This thing's got to be just <laughs> yeah. awful. Yeah. And, and so I, I actually, you know, in the, in the first phase of things said, you know, let's support the authorities. Uh, you know, they're trying to serve our interests. And, but by, but, but, but about a month and a half in about two months in, I was like, this is not, there's something funny. There's something funny yeah. about all this. I don't know about this. And, and I saw a number of other people who I was connected with, uh, who were feeling the same way and were make, taking some steps. And then I took some steps and anyway, uh, but there were people, even at, there are people even at this point who cannot entertain the possibility that this was handled terribly. It wasn't as bad as anybody, everybody made it out to be in the, you know, in the media and, 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 and consequently, uh, still look at you and me and, you know, three of us and, and the people that we identify with or, or consider fellow travelers on this issue as, as uh, dangerous uh, and as people who don't love anybody. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and the, you know, you take a look at Sweden. Yeah. You got concrete proof it didn't work. Yeah. It was unnecessary. Yeah. And yeah, all did. that collateral damage was completely unnecessary. Yeah. And they avoided a lot of that collateral damage. And, and, of, and of all people, we've talked about this, of all people, would we have said Sweden would have held out? No, none of us. We would have all said they would have been the worst of the worst, but yeah. they weren't. But you see, that gets to my point. There was, it doesn't kind of come down to some of the markers that we thought it would come down to. Yeah. Um, some of the people who are the strongest advocates of, say, uh, traditional authority structures were incredulous and resisted you know so what is it about some people and and who were were able to smell a rat early and say i'm not going along i don't have a good answer to that all all i can tell you is that you know i remember standing up in class and saying you know this covid thing i am the only person in this room who actually has a you know they they knew early on what the risk factors were yeah I said, I'm the only one in this room who's got the risk factors. And one guy immediately jumps in and says, yeah, but if I bring this home and give it to my grandmother. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that now I see, I mean, there are still people here every day in the grocery stores and everything else, younger people too, masked up oh, yes. and... And and really, it is it is incredible. Um, I, you know, just get the plastic bubble suit from Boy in the Bubble. Remember? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, now, maybe one of the markers and maybe this is why, you know, the situation with Sweden was so perplexing in terms of the circles that I'm familiar with. The more progressive your politics, the more likely you are to be just a complete mm-hmm. tool when it comes to this stuff. Because. Progressive politics is built around the government knows best. But I remember, I remember progressives. I mean, I'm the, I'm thinking about the old crunchy folks from up in Vermont. Oh, that's a different. The, they're different. They're a different breed. But that's yeah, what I'm getting at. So that's that's the thing. Yeah. Well, that's that's always surprised me too. But in in the way, but you can find you know Neil Young and other hippies that kind of you'd think were always the anti-establishment becoming running to this kind of, I think I remember, uh, it wasn't it Neil Young, you know? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. 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 He canceled, canceled his music on Spotify because it shared it with, uh, uh Joe Rogan. Rogan or, yeah. Joe yeah Rogan. For, for even questioning this. I mean, <laughs> he's back, on by the way. Brain. <laughs> he came back he's on. Back. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, back. He was well, and he, too much money, I think. Yeah, well, that was it, you know. And he didn't say any, and he didn't say I'm sorry or I was wrong or anything. Yeah. His people, yeah. are you know, I, I saw one one guy. I think he was a punk rocker, 
who said something to the effect of, I never thought I would live long enough to see the day that the Republicans were the ones who were resisting the government. Yeah, you know, I, you know who you know who I think that that may have been. Wasn't he the singer uh, Sid Vicious uh, or Sid Johnny Vicious? Rotten. Yeah. Uh, Johnny one, Rotten. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> yeah, one of them's dead. The other one, I think Johnny Rotten. Um, yeah, I think I think so. And you know, interesting. Uh, Lawrence Fox over in UK, very similar uh, actor. He was, you know, uh, uh, Inspector Lewis, and he's really taking on taking them on on it. It, it is interesting. Well, here's a there was a little. I found a little, um, uh, basically, book review of someone who wrote a book in response to critiquing. Uh, Agamben's book, another guy from the left who basically wants to critique the leftism of Agamben with the kind of veneration, the left's new veneration of scientific expertise and technocratic rule. So what you're starting to see is this kind of breakup. I mean, as we're seeing the kind of old, old alignments breaking up under pressure. Um, and he goes out and basically writes a book um, Taught, saying that basically Agamben is is you know his book was called the Revenge of the Real and it was anything but the real it was defending masks and everything else but at the end of the day the reviewer who reviewed um, this guy's book let me tell you the name of it it was the book was called the Revenge of the Real written by Benjamin uh, Bratton um, who is basically a brat um, but the whole thing was basically around just criticizing anyone who would question. The scientific expertise and the rule of, of physicians and medicine on this as basically quack Trump supporters. And the whole book is nothing but ad hominem abusives. Uh, you know, in his his whole, you know, his whole savior is, you know, what he calls the epidemiological politics, a new form of biopolitics. See, now, the thing is, this this is completely 100 percent predictable. Yeah, because. The left, okay, I think I've said this before on the show, but systems of government and economic systems parallel each other. This is why democracy goes with representative government. It's also why socialism and the left always goes to technocracy. Yeah. And so it is not at all surprising that people who are on the left and who are against all of the stuff in the government when they weren't in power— as soon as they get in power, they run hard toward technocrats. Yeah. Because it is it is the logical implication of their system. The government knows best. We know how to order your life. We know how to order the economy. We can guide these things and guide all things to their best ends because we are the experts. This is this is the core of what the left is about. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's yeah. It, and I think one of the things I mean, there's there's an interesting um, article by Patrick Deneen called uh, Biopolitical Tyranny. This had more to do with um, the, the movement of the biopolitical into human sexuality and the notion of marriage and the like. And one of the things he's quoting here was what I thought was one of John Milbank's actual finer moments. Um, he is a lefty and I think he gets a lot of things wrong. Um, a lot of what is going on, uh, what he calls the, the kind of liberal state, is really the lefty state. And so he, he's a different kind of lefty, influenced a lot by Foucault and the like. But one of the things he was talking about when um, the issue of gay marriage came up, especially in, in Europe and UK, um, he, he wrote something pretty fascinating um, th- that he, he said basically um, – Milbrink writes, where the reality of sexual sexual difference is denied, um, then it gets reinvented in perverse ways, just as the sexual over the over sexualization of women and the confinement of men to a marginalized machismo. Right. Um, But he says he's talking about this change in marriage would end the public legal recognition of a social reality defined in terms of the natural link between sex and procreation. In direct consequence, the natural children of heterosexual couples will then be only legally their children if the state decides that they might be legally adopted by them or by the state. And I think we're also seeing this encroachment tyranny move in as we're starting to see now the school systems underwritten by the state 
coming in and basically saying if your child who is doesn't necessarily uh, legally um, you have you have no more rights because it's your biological child than anyone has legally. And that legal right now is granted by the state um, alone, not any kind of order of nature um, in law around that. So therefore, if the child wants to decide its own gender um, and the parents, the biological parents have a problem with this, well, then the state, in a sense, can adopt. It can override the rule because that biological relationship that procreative have been eliminated out of the definition. And his his point later was that this has been a strategic move of the modern state's drive to assume direct control over the reproduction of population, bypassing our um, interpersonal encounters. It never really was about gay marriage. It never was. Yeah, I, I think that uh, people who are watching the sort of uh, the progress, so to speak, of these, uh, you know, trends uh, are making that connection now. That's that the state is essentially uh, at odds with every other kind of mediating structure in society. Uh, And it's a total gambit uh, to acquire the authority necessary to overrule every other uh, institution and have direct access to every individual in isolation. Yeah, and the great irony of this is that the left is enamored with the United Nations. <laughs> the United Nations Charter for the Rights of the Child says right. that the child has the right to a relationship with both the mother and the father, yeah. right. thereby undermining the entire thing of gay adoption, surrogacy, all of those kinds of things, as well as the authority of the state stepping in and taking that away. Right. But somehow nobody seems to have noticed this. Yeah, I guess people have not availed themselves of that language in order to use it against Western you know, institutions or Western states. But maybe that's something that should be uh, you know, pursued, attempted. Well, and, and what you get here is that kind of that, again, what we've been talking about, the, the difference between those that recognize this natural link, right, and the, 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 this, the good of this created order, even in its fallen state, nevertheless, for common grace or however one's going to spell that out, versus those who see all of this to be um, transcended and re- remade. Um, a, a utopia, if you will, through science, through technology, and through through power. Um, and so they sell the promise that we've got your health taken care of, you're safe if you follow our rule and our dictates, um, and we will be there for you to make you, through technology or science and medicine, into anything you want to be. You're free, you have a freedom in this world of science and, and technology, um, and we're going to protect you from all of those that are t- attached to the real, because the real is not binding. It is nothing more than the raw material that we get to play with the way we want. Proof is, look what we just did with redefining marriage. But the thing is, I think, Chris, a point you made earlier, I think in this show, um, where you were talking about and mentioning how much, and this is where the encroachment of totalitarian takes over, um, how much omniscience and omnipotence it's going to take to be able to fight reality and it's it's the kinds and their move towards their given natures to actually think you're going to fight the created order and win yeah well that's the that's the thing and every defeat is only uh justification for the you know sort of more ambitious uh pursuit of the yeah. Things that you you know no, you know don't yet control. Uh, you can always blame it on uh, something that wasn't uh, fully in your power. Uh, so therefore, you know, hand it over. You, you know where yep. this all yep. goes. A long time ago, I, when I was in grad school, there was a car that had a bumper sticker. It was an environmentalist bumper sticker, but I think it still applies here in other contexts. It said, "Nature bats last." 
That's right. <laughs> and it always it always hits the grand slam. <laughs> and it's always a slugger. I mean, you know, and that's the problem with all of these things. Nature bats last and it's a slugger. Yeah. 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 The the the, the you know the the Promethean drive to master nature, uh, I think is just kind of in an ongoing kind of uh, case of denial when it comes to your point there, Glenn, I think, mm -hmm. um, the, the prospect is, you know, if we start with fire, we'll end with, you know, understanding the genome, you know, just think about the things that we've been able to do, which are impressive. I mean, split the atom, you know, sequence the genome. We, we really do know a lot, but we know, uh, just infinitesimally, you know, small amount of, of what there needs to be known yeah. <laughs> in order to have the kind of power and of efficaciousness that God possesses. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it'll always be uh, beyond us. You know, the, the, the sane way of understanding things, if you are in higher education, is that the more you learn about your subject, the more you realize you don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the thing that is probably most disturbing in, in one respect about all of this is the absolute lack of epistemic humility on the part of the experts. Yeah, yeah. This book I've mentioned uh, a few times by Desmond is, gets into this. He says that the real scientists, you know, it's sort of the, the scientists who are, you know, pursuing pure science, you know, in the classical understanding, tend to be humble. They, they tend to be circumspect. It's the technologists. It's the engineers. It's the guys who are working with the, the you know, the discoveries of other people and trying to find practical, you know, ways to apply them who have this utopian uh, uh, sort of uh, hubris that we've been critiquing. It, it's interesting on that note uh, that you probably know of uh, Christopher Thompson's book that's uh, come out recently, The, the Joyful Mystery, uh, Field Notes Towards a Green Tomism is the name of it. He's, oh, he's yeah. A, I heard a rec I heard an interview with him. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, I think Mars Hill did, if I'm, I'm correct. Very good interview. But one of the things that he, he gets, and this is one of the things I, I get so tired and sad that so many of the debates in the reform world of whether we should have some Thomas or not really don't read and get the beautiful wisdom and limits of any theologian um, of the church. And rather than seeing what they have to say in the light of Christ, they just bracket it all out as error. But their simple biblicism is is profound truth and the only amount of truth you can have. And it's really sad. Secondly, Thomism isn't one thing. Um, anybody who, who knows or has looked into Aquinas and the byproduct of his theology knows that there is analytic Thomism, there's transcendental Thomism, there is Platonic trans, there's Aristotelian. There is not one thing. That's because he was holistic and all-encompassing. He engaged every area of life and tried to shine the light of Christ on it. Take them or leave them. I'll leave it there. But anyway, this book is very beautiful. And one of the things he's talking about in this book is something that said basically the green people see something, the green movement see something, but they don't see it the right way, as as Paul tells us, that there is truth that we can fathom, but we distort it and we don't get to see it. Um, but when it gets contemplated the right way, ultimately through the light of Christ, um, one begins to see similarly what the scientist sees. As you get closer to things in creation, they become more profound, more beautiful, more mysterious, and yet also they start to communicate their intelligibility. This is what Aquinas was up to with his metaphysics of creation, that when God made kinds and orders them to fulfill certain ends, you know, be procreative, um, you know, be fruitful and multiply, as one begins to unpro pack the the mystery and beauty of that process its intelligibility communicates it communicates and that actually communicates something of the creator as well and so and, and i think it's that way scientists or anyone who works in in any field of knowing or familiarity with an instrument or art knows 
mystery only increases as it's the intelligibility of the created world manifests, I, I would say, um, the glory of God in it. Yeah, that's probably a good place to, to uh, kind of bring us to a conclusion there, Tom. Is there anything you want to say as we wrap up here, Glenn? Uh, no, I think I've probably said too much already. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to say a few things at the at the close here. We want to say, first of all, thank you to the folks who support our show. Uh, we have people who support us in the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We have people who support us directly in various ways. We have Patreons on Patreon. And if you'd like to learn more about how to support us through Patreon, you can follow the link in the show notes uh, that will take you to our Patreon page. Uh, I also want to say that when this show comes out, it'll only be maybe a, a two or three weeks till the big conference that we're, that we're hosting here in uh, the Battleground area in Washington with Aaron Wren and uh, James Wood and uh, Joe Rigney. And if you'd like to learn more about that, Negative World, the conference Negative World, or Welcome to Negative World, you can go to negworldconference.com, www.negworldconference.com, and learn about that. Anyway, that's all I've got to say at this point about those things. So if you guys don't have anything else to say, we can say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.